Welcome back, guys, to another week of the Atypical Social Worker Podcast. This is your girl, Lola Love, and the Atypical Social Worker Podcast is a podcast by social workers, for social workers, and other helping professionals. So again, I hope you guys had a wonderful week. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the family. We love adding new people to our community. And I'm just going to start. So this past week, actually the past couple of weeks, have been going really, really well. And I say I have to highlight that because prior to maybe the past two, two and a half weeks, I was having some really, really crappy days at work and it wasn't any one particular thing, but I just started feeling very overwhelmed. I started questioning if I was in the right place at the right time, if I had made the right decision to switch from my previous job to my current job. So I'm happy that things are starting to settle a little bit. I'm getting to learn um, my new team that I work with um, a lot better. And so those feelings of imposter syndrome that I mentioned to some of you guys a few weeks ago are starting to dissipate a little bit, but I still have this other major mountain (laughs) that I need to move, and that is getting my licensure. Um, For those who don't know if this is your first time listening, or maybe you didn't listen to season one, but I have been in the field of social work as a graduate MSW student since 2012 it is now 2020 I am not licensed um there's a few reasons for that one I just honestly I don't feel like it was talked about or stressed enough when I was in my graduate program and that's not trying to place blame on somebody or any one thing but I just felt like I didn't really understand the importance of getting my licensure Additionally, I worked full time the entire time that I was in grad school. And when I graduated, I pretty much already had a job in the field and it allowed me, my graduate degree allowed me to move up in that, uh, in the position I already had, but I wasn't really out there on the job market. And also one thing that I stand by is that I was never truly interested in clinical social work or being an actual practitioner. I very much like working in and amongst communities And so that was just something that felt good. And I didn't feel like I needed to truly understand the clinical side of things if I was going to be working in communities. And let me just first start by saying this. If you are a social work student, if you are thinking about going into social work, if you just graduated and are on the fence as to whether or not you should get your licensure, please let me tell you, get it. Just do it. Get it out the way get it over with because you will use it you will need it at some point so it's better to just do it when the information is fresh in your mind study right after you graduate you know spend a few months studying and then take it within you know the first year of graduation or so because let me tell you the struggle is real I have been back and forth with studying for my licensure and then deciding, you know, it wasn't the right time multiple times over the past eight years. And as I've seen new professionals enter the field and become licensed, you know, fairly quickly, I, I'm just one, I commend them for, you know, kind of going through it all, you know, right away. And I'll also just kind of see my time, my professional time. I'm just like, all right, like, what are you waiting for? What's, what's your next move going to be? And, you know, I haven't, I've been fortunate enough to not have a lot of positions or jobs that I've applied to. Um, I haven't been looked over for those. And some of that might just be because of 
some of the additional professional experience I've been able to gain in the field. And then also the fact that I also shifted gears a little bit because I, you know, am not necessarily working in a clinical placement or in a clinical organization. I'm working in higher education and higher education wasn't necessarily like a cop out because I chose not to get my licensure. Um, It was just something that I definitely was drawn to and enjoyed. But even working in and amongst students, I see the importance and the need for being licensed and for being able to have, I think, a slightly stronger understanding of certain concepts and truly being like comfortable enough to kind of express those things. Because I have students that I see all the time that are, are definitely dealing with, you know, some mental health needs, um, are definitely dealing with like depression or anxiety, you know, rightfully so, because college can definitely be a scary place. And so I do feel like having my licensure would actually help to give me a bit more of an edge in my current profession. So right now I am full throttle in studying and It has been honestly enjoyable to get back to the material, to refresh myself on things, to kind of really reflect about certain things that I've seen in the field without even always recognizing what it was. But then it's also very scary because since I graduated in 2012, a lot of things have changed. Um, There's definitely new information that is now being tested on that wasn't necessarily a point of information that I had to concern myself with back in 2012. Um, So I just want to say, if you are in that position, if you are preparing to study, if you graduated a while ago like me and you're just on the fence of like, what to do? Is it too late for me? First of all, it's never too late. You shape your own destiny. You absolutely can and will pass your L um, or your LC or whatever it is that you aspire to do um, within the field. You definitely can pass that exam. Just take the time, make a plan and stick to it. Right now, my biggest struggle has been honestly sticking to my plan. I have great resources. Um, I actually found a really, really comprehensive um, study platform called the Therapist Development Center. It's based out of California, but they really have some awesome materials, um, some teaching, some testing. They have some great customer service and feedback. It's, you know, it's by, I think, I think she's a clinical psychologist, but she brings in social workers um, and other mental health clinicians to kind of help put this product together Um, and they actually provide support for a a realm of different um, mental health examinations and things like that but the therapist development center is actually really cool and this is not a plug for them they're definitely not endorsing this episode they probably don't even know that I have a podcast but I will say it has helped me to get my confidence back with just getting back in because I realized when I got the the actual social work books I'm like, okay, am I just going to sit here and drill myself on questions? And I thought about that and I got overwhelmed very quickly. I kind of read through like the first couple chapters and was just like, you know what, Lola, this is, hang it up. This is not happening. Like, this is dry. It's not keeping your attention. Um, Also, I've never been one um, ever, I think, in my life to really be a person who studies and prepares for long periods of time um, to retain information. I just, I was never that person. Um, I was the person that would be up the night before from, you know, 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. when my exam or test was at like eight or nine in the morning. 
and that worked for me like the, the way that I need that pressure sometimes to be able to perform and I'm trying to break that habit and kind of do something that's a little bit more slower paced, a little bit more realistic because I work full time and have, you know, other responsibilities like the podcast, um, my LLC. I have those responsibilities um, outside of, of just studying now. And so I'm trying to find a better balance of doing things. And in the midst of that, I'm also trying to still find time to self-care for myself and make sure that. I'm taking care of me um, physically, emotionally, spiritually. So I've really been on this sort of like mind, body, soul kick. Um, and I really just want to um, get closer, you know, religiously to I'm Christian. So I've really been trying to practice my spirituality a bit more and be intentional about that. I've been trying to um, eat better and go to the gym um, more often so that I feel, you know, better physically. And then also um, the mind part of it for me is really studying and preparing and kind of getting my skills sharpened and things like that. So, you know, again, this has not been an easy journey. It has not been a, a swift transition. And, you know, my goal is to really take my exam. Uh, oh, it's getting so close. <laughs> my goal is to take the exam at least uh, before the end of December. So that is literally like a month two months away roughly um so guys out there if you're listening please keep me in your prayers keep me in your thoughts you know if you scribble down notes and put them under your pillow at night please scribble a note down for me dm me if you know of some great resources because i'll always be happy to share those resources um you know on the instagram story post them on the page and stuff like that um there's also an app that I've been using that has been um, pretty helpful as well. And that app is called, I think, the Behavioral Health app. It used to be called the, I'm just trying to find it in my phone literally while I'm talking to you guys. So I apologize. But it used to be called um, the ASWB MSW app. And then they sort of upgraded uh, the app. But if you have purchased it in the past, they did honor that purchase and allow you to use um, the full version of the new app. And so far, I like it. I've only been using it for about a week. So kind of what I've been doing is I use the Therapist Development Center and her modules to sort of give me the foundation of understanding. And then I go and test myself using the app. So, so far, that has been a pretty good um, strategy for me. Um, I'm definitely not perfect in most areas, but my scores are increasing um, in practice mode. So I'm, I'm going to keep at it because honestly, again, just from the work that I do um, in an institution of higher education, but then also the more that I become aware of family members needs and just random people that sometimes reach out to me like I, I do feel obligated as a professional to be able to give them more um, and I would like to give them more and I realized that I have gotten more interested in the clinical track um, real quickly before we segue into this week's episode I definitely want to give a quick shout out to um, fellow social worker and friend Dre Johnson um, I first met him when I was actually recruiting for the UB School of Social Work, um, he was actually a McNair student that was considering social work. And um, he ended up not going to UB, 
but he got in touch with me like a few years later um, when he started his MSW program at Florida Atlantic University. And honestly, he is probably one of the most brilliant social workers that I know. Um, I respect him so much professionally, even when he was still in school. He was doing major things like getting published, working on um, very important research in relation to mass shootings in schools. And I just, I love the energy that he brings to the field. He's a very genuine person. And so the last time I talked to him, which was I think last week, he told me he was preparing to take his uh, clinical licensure. So New York state law is a little bit different from other states. So I believe in Florida. And if you know more, you can definitely DM me and give me more of the scoop. But I believe what he told me was that in Florida, there is like, you just take your LC. Like you don't just take your L and then prepare for the LC. So um, he is preparing for his LC and I believe he takes it either this week or early next week. So I just wanna send him positive vibes into the universe. If any of you uh, know Dre Johnson, he's originally from Rochester, um, send him positive vibes. If you're friends with him on Facebook or Instagram, you know, just pour out that positivity. I really like to say that black men in social work are unicorns and I love that. I love to see black men in social work. I especially love to see black men in the clinical realm of social work because there are definitely not a many of them, um, at least that I've encountered or been aware of in my local area. But I just, I wish them all the the best in the world with um, taking this exam coming up and just generally everything with his professional future. But like I know again, He has great energy, he has great passion, and he will certainly go far in the field. So with that, let's segue into this week's episode. Um, I'm super excited to interview this week's guest, so let's get to it. There goes my favorite sound of the week. Class is officially in session. What's up, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me this week um, on the Atypical Social Worker Podcast. This is your host, Lola Love. This week, we have a special guest with us, and her name is Miss Deja Middlebrooks. Deja, would you like to say hello to the people? Hello, everyone. I'm happy to be here today. Awesome. So i like to get started with a little bit of an icebreaker that we call 21 Questions. Um, There's no right or wrong answer. We just like to kind of get our features comfortable, get their, you know, their mind flowing and the energy right before we go into the hard stuff. So are you ready for 21 questions? I'm ready. All right. So micro, mezzo, or macro social work? Mezzo. Mezzo. Tell us why. Because I feel like I can be with the person and I can interact with their system and I'm not too far removed that I can't like be with the individual so I like that I like working with families I don't like working with just the parent or just the kid I need the whole system (laughs) I hear that so in the morning if you are a morning person is your go-to coffee or is it tea or maybe it's something else Mm, tea usually yeah I like tea too (laughs) (laughs) you say usually what usually tea unless it's a stressful day then it's coffee yeah I know sometimes like I don't really like black coffee but I guess I do like black coffee because I I try to stay away from the sugar but 
sometimes a black coffee with a few creamers I'm like all right now I'm focused again but mm-hmm. I prefer tea okay so if you had a choice would you prefer to work with a client using motivational interviewing or more of like a solution focused type therapy hmm. I would say motivational interviewing because um I think it's important for the client to feel like they're empowered and as they are they have autonomy they make their own they make their own decisions but I think that encouraging them to see that they're the driver in their own life is I think that's the best because it gives them power to get to their own solutions in that problem but then also for any other problems that come up after that yeah I mean I definitely agree with you like I, I would definitely also have to agree I would prefer motivational interviewing especially because it recognizes that you know a client might not be at a point where they're ready to change so it's kind of like thinking about like all right we know we might have some resistance in the beginning but let's kind of like dig a little bit deeper and hopefully you get to a point where like you kind of understand the need for the change but i can also understand why this has been a difficult you know change for you or change process but definitely the empowerment thing is is huge because you know i tell people all the time like i can want you to be the best person that you know you could ever be in life but on some level, like, I can't do it for you. I can't live your life for you. So I can encourage you to get there. and Hopefully you feel like the drive to continue on with the process. I agree. So would you say you're an early bird or a night owl? Mm. I would say an early bird when it comes to work, like studying, taking a quiz, something like that. I could get up early and do it because once I'm tapped out and tired, I'm not productive anymore. <laughs> And that's where I'm the exact opposite. I am definitely a night owl. I am the person that will be up. Like, I don't know. I just get a surge of energy at like 11 o'clock at night. And then I'll probably go to bed like five in the morning. And of course, I'm like a zombie during the day. (laughs) And I'm, you know, I'm working through that. I'm working through it. (laughs) Mm. So would you say in terms of developmental styles and theories, are you more of like an Eric Erickson fan or Piaget? Hmm, I would definitely say Erickson because, well, I, I don't know. I guess it, I would say Erickson, it's not a wrong answer, but mm-hmm. um, I think the trust and mistrust, I think that that goes through all through life. So I think with me, I see it in the clients that I work with. I see it in my friends and family. Like when they didn't have that trust built at a young age, it carries through their whole life. Yeah, I, def- I definitely agree with that because our trust is foundational and, you know, realistically speaking, as an infant, you're probably at your most vulnerable. And so it's important to have people around you that you can build trust and, you know, feel comfortable with, you know, being your caretaker, so to speak. And unfortunately, when kids grow up in an environment where they don't have like a solid family structure or just regular caretakers, like you definitely see a lot of things kind of manifest from that into like, young childhood young adulthood and like into adulthood so yeah I definitely agree with you on that one too okay last one are you planning to take the bar exam first or your L Mm. so I think that I'm gonna study and take my L this year because I can't take the bar exam until July so I'm thinking I can study over the winter and take my L and hopefully pass on the first time and then by the summer I could switch gears and study for the bar exam. Okay, I hear that. Sounds like a plan. 
Okay, so we're going to switch a little bit to the hard stuff. Nothing, you know, too hard. But I like to call this segment In Other News. So we kind of want to dig in a little bit deeper and learn more about you and learn more about kind of like your journey into social work and beyond. And so why don't you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Like, where are you from? You know, did you study something in undergrad that kind of pushed you toward this direction? Just let us know a little bit more about you. Okay. So, well... I'm from Buffalo, New York, born and raised here. Um, I went to public school in Buffalo and I attended the University at Buffalo for undergrad. I studied, um, I was in a social social science interdisciplinary program because at the time that I went to UB, they didn't have um, a pre-law program or undergraduate social work program. So that program that I ended up doing kind of combined the two worlds for me and gave me the policy background knowledge and then the social skills. So for me, that pushed me to go to graduate school. And um, I went to graduate school at the University of Buffalo again. So I did um, a dual degree program. So I got my MSW last spring and I'm I'm still in school because um, it's a four year program. I get my MSW and then I'm also in law school. So I finished law school this upcoming spring and then I'll be done with grad school. That's awesome. I mean, that's really, really exciting. And, you know, UB definitely has a lot of good, like, dual degree programs that complement the School of Social Work. So it's always cool when people take advantage of that because, like, essentially you kind of walk away from grad school with, like, a lot, in my opinion, like, more employability options. You can take your kind of, like, the things that you're interested in in a lot of different directions. So that's definitely very, very cool. Um, So, like... Why social work? Like, when did you know, like, you know what? I, I think I want to go into social work. So um, in high school, I got my first part-time job. I was working at Planned Parenthood. And they have a, um, like a, um, a youth program. So they usually have um, high school students. They can work in their clinics. They do um, performances, a lot of theater things. And they perform about, um, they usually perform about peer pressure, Um, sexual education um, a lot of things like choice so when I did that program when I did that program it taught me how to um, advocate for clients I didn't know that that was social work when I was doing the job I was had to be like 15 years old I was just like oh this is the job this is cool like I get to do theater I get to learn you know sex ed I get to you know represent a company so that was what was cool to me but as I got older and looked back I was able to see like, wow, they taught me a lot of things like that I learned in a social work program about confidentiality, about autonomy, choice, advocacy. Um, and they also taught a lot about um, the about the, the problems within the inner city as far as poverty, um, access to health care, especially access, access to reproductive health care. So mm-hmm. that was something that I learned early on. And then when I did go to grad school, I was like, oh, this is it. Like, this is <laughs> this is what I want to do. That I mean, that's definitely cool because, I, you know, also being someone who, like, grew up in the city of Buffalo and, like, recognizing, like, Planned Parenthood for, like, a lot of my friends in high school was just kind of like the lifeline because, you know, they their parents maybe didn't have health insurance or they didn't have the best health insurance. Or, you know, like, let's be honest, when it came to reproductive health, they didn't want their parents in their business. And Planned Parenthood was, like, really there as, like, a resource. And it, it you know, it came across as very, like, non-judgmental. But 
they always were creative with trying to reach out to kids from different backgrounds, um, which was different than what you would probably experience at like a regular doctor or something like that. So that, that's very cool, very cool. So like as a JD MSW student, has there ever been a time like throughout your education where you kind of felt like what you were learning in law school conflicted with what you were learning in social work? Or have you always felt like they just complement each other very well? Um, yeah, I think that our code of ethics are very different. And so if different people that you'll talk to that have the degree that I'm getting, they have different views on if you should have your license in social work and <laughs> be a lawyer. <laughs> Mm, that's so, interesting. And it's, it's, it's not a official, like, it's no official guidelines to say that you can't do it. I mean, if you couldn't do it, they wouldn't have the program. So it's you can do it, but you have to clarify what role you're acting in. Because as a social worker, there are things, as far as confidentiality, you know, you can tell me things. If you're not going to hurt yourself or you hurt someone else, then it's a stay between us. Unless, you know, if you tell me, like, oh, I buried this body down the street you know i be like this is a problem we might need to you know like, you know we <laughs> might need to delve deeper where is it why did this happen whereas a lawyer it's like even though the greater good of the society might want to know where that body is buried as a lawyer my duty is to my client so i can't i can't there are very few exceptions when i could breach confidentiality and that is um it's a big conflict so for me i always have to decide if i'm in an internship or i'm at a job Am I working in a legal capacity or am I working in a social worker capacity? Mm, that's that's really, really interesting because I mean you I mean that's a very valid point. Just the example that you shared is kinda like, you know, lawyers don't want to necessarily know where the bodies are buried, but social workers are definitely like, wait, have they had a proper burial? Has the family had time to grieve? Like, we need to find those bodies. Um and so that's really interesting. Like, so have you ever this is sort of a spinoff of that same question, but like in class, right? I'm sure that, especially in law school, you are in class with students who are just there to get their JD and not in the MSW JD program. So have you ever gotten to like, have there been some healthy debates around just general topics, you know, where you feel like I'm starting to feel this pull as a social worker in this class, whereas my classmate who is just here for their JD doesn't have that same like outlook. Yes, when we talk about prisoners' rights, that <laughs> that's where it's the biggest divide for me because I mean we talk about immigration and things like that but that has some overlap with prisoners rights so when we talk about what um what basic rights should a prisoner should a prisoner have should they have a right to education should they have a right to safety when they're in jail and things like that and then especially when it comes to um when they get released from jail how can we how can we integrate them back into society so for social work you know, but social work I'm like this is important we can't just leave them in jail and then hope that when they come out they're a different person if we're not investing into them we're not pouring into their glass so and their glass is refillable after you serve your time right. you should be able to do something else with your life whereas a lot of my <laughs> my law student counterparts are like no like they did the, they did the crime they gotta do the time and that's their problem you know punish them punish them punish them so and I think that's that's interesting you know (laughs) yeah it's very different because I mean even now like you know in the midst of kind of like an election year and stuff like that a lot of these topics that you know are always being discussed you know they come to a a more heightened point during this time just because you know people 
are trying to get elected into office and stuff like that and you know we'll get into this a little bit later but just even with everything that has gone on in this country in 2020 it's, it's been a hell of a year and it, you really just start to see where people either err on the side of like you know being a more humane society and the greater good and helping everyone or people are just like oh if it don't make sense for me and specifically if it don't make dollars then it don't make sense so I'm not about to invest in that um and it definitely always trickles down into like you know socioeconomic status like you said prisoners rights our judicial system like just so many things are like on I think the agenda right now and it's it's a little scary but it's also like a time where I, I personally think that this is why it's important for you know social workers to also have a macro level awareness because you end up in spaces and places where this meeting might have started to talk about a b or c but now we're talking about x y and z and as a social worker if you're not well versed in those issues you might not be able to hold a conversation and convince somebody to you know take a certain uh, type of action versus another um and you know we we have to be we have to be advocates like all around in the field so um okay so next question so in terms of like all right so you just finished your MSW program in the springtime and you're still in your JD program. So from like a student perspective, how was it? Like, obviously we all know in March, basically the United States pretty much shut down, especially New York State. And as a person who works in higher education right now, like I really sympathize with the students I work with because it was just such a huge shift from what they were used to as a student to all of a sudden what they were left to deal with as a student because of everything with COVID. So how was that experience for you? I do not like online classes. Um, I, I don't <laughs> like, in grad school, I didn't take online classes. I may have taken maybe one, but I don't like them because I don't get the same interaction with other students. I don't get the same interaction with the teacher, um, especially when it comes to letters of recommendation or just being comfortable asking a question or going to the office hours. I prefer to have that one-on-one um, -on -one or just the opportunity to have a one-on-one. -on -one. So the first semester, like last year in March when it shut down, it was great because I was in class for the first half of the semester. Then I'm like, okay, I get to stay home. You know, I have my office set up, that's fine. Like I'll be prepared, I like that. And I thought it was gonna be easy. But then this semester, it's just like all my classes are, are mostly online and then everything is basically online so I'm getting a million emails a day and it, it puts a lot of pressure on the students to be um, stay updated with their emails communicate um, submit things on time because no one you're not seeing your teacher or other students to remind you so it does take a lot a lot of more accountability on our part yeah, I definitely like those are, you know, similar things that I hear from students that I've worked with as well. And it definitely is a lot more accountability. Um, and some people will argue that it gives, you know, faculty or professors a little bit of an easier pass with how they engage with the students in their classrooms and in their spaces. I mean, not to mention, unfortunately, some of the technology struggles. Um, technology is great, but it's better when people know how to use it. and. You know, I, I personally witnessed a lot of that um, where like people were fumbling through like trying to learn Zoom quickly or other forms of technology to be able to deliver class. And sometimes it seemed like it, it took away from 
the quality of education students were getting. So hopefully this, this, you know, distance learning will either get much better or we'll be able to transition back to, you know, seated classes again at, at some point with, you know, safety measures and stuff yeah, like that. Or if it gets cheaper because... <laughs> that too, because that is, that, is, <laughs> that is also a relevant topic because, I mean, you hear that a lot. Like, if I'm not going to a building, if I'm not, you know, if, if there aren't activities happening on campus the way that they used to, like, what is my student activity fee going towards? You know, why am I paying this lab fee if I don't have an in-person lab right now? Like, that, I mean, that's a very relevant thing. Um, and it's interesting because I guess I would assume or wonder if there was a higher enrollment in like um, traditional online schools, like, you know, Phoenix online and stuff like that, like schools that are used to doing their entire, like all their programs online. I wonder if there was like a good population of students that were like, you know what, if I'm going to be in, at a distance, I'm going to go to this type of school versus a school that has, you know, in-person classes and is charging in-person tuition, even though there's like a likelihood that we will only be online. Right. So, okay. So in addition to COVID, you know, everyone in this country has also talked talked about like, you know, a second epidemic which is obviously um, what we're seeing in terms of race relations within our country. And I mean, really, it's probably definitely more than an epidemic because, you know, right now we're seeing things happen in Nigeria with SARS and stuff like that. And so race relations are really just in shambles across the world, I would say. Um, But I like to ask, especially students or people who are in school during like the springtime and going into the early parts of the fall, how did your school, if you know, address kind of like the issue of racial injustice in this country? Like, was there a statement released? It's, I would especially be interested because you were also like, you know, are in social work school, but also law school. Like, was there a formal statement released? What supports, if any, were, were put into place? And like, overall, as a student, do you feel like it was addressed? Well, I would say there was a statement. Um, both schools, well, the school of social work, the, the law school, and then university at Buffalo as a whole, they all, each president um, released a statement in support of um, Black Lives Matter and then saying that um, the police brutality issue is a big issue in our um, community. So they were, they, they did a good job with the statement, but as far as the action, I haven't seen much done personally. Um, I know as far as um, my field placement, they did a few things. They made their staff um, watch when they see us. And so that, okay. and then we had a, a Zoom discussion about it. So that was interesting because the race, the racial breakdown in the department that I was working in was primarily white. I think it was um, maybe one black person outside of me. So it was interesting um, for, you know, to see that and to see their perspectives. And then as far as law school, they, I'm taking a mindfulness class and my Mm. teacher, um, she's black and she made us all write a book, write a story about police violence against unarmed blacks. (laughs) And so that was the biggest step that I've seen in the law school. That was, they made us all write a paper about it and they made us read the new Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. Oh, I love that book. I have it on my desk literally right now. (laughs) So 
That I mean, that's that's awesome. So I mean, it sounds like it's nice that yes, there was a general statement made, but it sounds like at least in a law school, there were some additional steps to bring that understanding or the representation of that statement like into mm-hmm. the coursework um, a little bit. And you know, in a social work school, it seems like more of like your your field placement took the lead on that, which is also a great thing because you know. Although you may be a student in that setting, you know, for the professionals that work in that placement every single day, you know, that also is kind of like a pretty direct and bold kind of like, but we want everyone that works here to have a a working understanding of of what this is like. Um, It's interesting that they chose when they see us because, I mean, I guess going down a rabbit hole of another topic, but just even recently with like the last um, presidential debate, you know, that 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 court case was actually brought up during the debate and the, the use of the term super predator and stuff like that. Um, and it, it's so interesting because like, you know, that wasn't mm-hmm. that long ago. You know, those things didn't happen that long ago. Um, and I actually went to a talk with Yusuf Salam, I think back in November, um, last November. And just to kind of hear the trajectory of his experiences from being like wrongfully, you know, convicted and having to spend really like the most integral parts of his years in prison and then getting out and I mean to see the beauty and how he has been able to still be positive and transform his life and be like motivational it's just like you applaud that so much but you know there are so many people who are wrongfully convicted who unfortunately don't have that same Mm -hmm. sort of resilience and can kind of just like bounce back from that you know most people don't bounce back from stuff like that and so it this has just been a very interesting season because, I mean, even just from debates of like people saying that literally systemic oppression is not a real thing. It's like, wait, what country right. do you live in? And <laughs> literally, have you read our history books? Because it absolutely exists and has existed. So I'm glad to hear that again, like your your school has been doing some things. Um, I definitely, my personal opinion is that I feel like every institution of higher education has a responsibility to when things happen in our country that impacts the students that walk their campuses they have a responsibility to respond and also to make sure those students feel safe you know so that's interesting so okay you're still in law school you've graduated from the school of social work how how is this sort of like post-grad slash continuation of grad school life going um, for you? It's going well. It's it's a little um, it's a little challenging because I do want to get more experience with my social work degree, but um, it's challenging because the workload of law school. So I have a, a lot of my daytime hours I'm at school, so I don't really have the time to pick up a social work job, which I can do on the weekends or something like that. So I'm trying to figure out how can I get the most out of my social work degree? Because I, I didn't do it for no reason. You know, I use my skills in my law firm job when I'm communicating with partners, communicating with clients. Um, but I want to you I want to put more use out of that degree. So this year is like, how can I do that? Take this time when things are slow and to reflect and see like what jobs, what jobs are out there. Um, and especially non-traditional jobs because I know I'm not going to be a clinical social worker, but um, like I like policy. I also, I really like um, 
like I love the mezzo I love the mezzo level so like I like doing youth groups um I do that I volunteer and do some youth groups already so I would like to be able to um either implement more or be able to develop a program something like that um I'm just trying to find my niche I mean, that's that's really cool. And I, I like the way that you mentioned that, you know, where you currently work in the law firm, you use your social work skills. Like I can remember being a graduate student and like my second field placement was in family court. And a lot of like I didn't know what to expect when, you know, I was going to intern there. I thought like, oh, OK, I'll probably just, you know, work with families who, you know, have children that have open cases in court and stuff like that. But really a lot more of the work I was doing became about um, teaching lawyers and judges uh, within the family court system how to apply social work mindset to working with their clients. Um, And that was super dope because like you mentioned before, like those two schools naturally have different codes of ethics. And so the way in which a lawyer might engage with a child, you know, before they're made more aware is not the way that a social worker would you know, kind of build a rapport with that child and things like that. And, you know, court can be a scary place for an adult, let alone like to be in family court and and watch children having to choose, like unfortunately choose between parents sometimes during custody battles, you know, having to literally, you know, have a child lawyer and decide or like advocate for where they want to be or what they want to do um, in terms of their future. And it's, it's a hard thing to watch, but I think that, in the legal system, the more that lawyers and judges can kind of enhance their soft skills and apply some of those social work practices, I just, I think it makes for a better process, especially yeah, in the family I, I court system. I definitely agree. That's where my last um, internship was at. Well, I was with an agency that represented children at family court. So for them, we usually work okay. with um, children who committed crimes. So we represented them and trust was important with those kids because some of the kids had been products of um, child abuse child neglect so they've been to family court before so they have to see like are you on my side or are you against me so that was something that was important um, to teach the lawyers to say like when you go in when you first meet them like this is a checklist ask them a few you know background questions before you ask them did you do it or not you know <laughs> like <laughs> right right don't just jump right in like you had to Listen, <laughs> not that's very true though, and it, and again, it just it, it goes to show the difference between you know, and not necessarily saying like a, a right or a wrong, but like when you are in kind of like that judicial system, like your your job is to get the facts and to kind of start to build the case, so to speak. Whereas the social worker is like, I need to make sure that everyone is emotionally safe and feels comfortable and supported, and then let's move forward. You know, like let's make sure. Right. the vibe is there first um so so okay so for like what advice would you offer to someone who was interested in taking like a similar educational path like maybe maybe they are in their you know first year of social work school and they're like you know what but I, I'm really interested in law also um or maybe it's a lawyer who's like I've been in practice but you know what I feel like I'm missing something I feel like I need to learn how to you know, be better with building a rapport, like, or maybe it's the undergrad student who's like, I don't know what I want to do, but this is what I'm interested in. And it crosses the path of kind of like social welfare and humanity and also law. Like what I advice would, would you share? Do an internship for one. 
um, because there are things that I thought I liked or I would like until I did an internship. <laughs> so I would definitely say, if you think you want to do it, go ahead, get an internship. Most of the time they don't pay you, so it's not hurting them. They want the help and you'll be able to get some experience and some exposure. So that's the first thing I would say. I would secondly say that you should go for it because um, I think that it's important to have like an interdisciplinary perspective in a room and it doesn't matter which ultimately which what job you get or which um which field you decide to work into because those skills are transferable so even if you are acting as a social worker you have to research policy you have to advocate for your clients so that research skills that you're going to learn from law school are going to help you and then if you are interacting in the court system with family court or anything like that you know how to understand the process you understand what type of evidence is admissible in court? Um, how can I make my client look better to the judge? Things like that. And then as a lawyer, I think that it's important because um, I think when, you're, when you are interacting with a client, whether they're an adult or a child or a family or organization, it doesn't matter. They still need to have that trust. They need to know that their voice matters. They need to feel heard. Because a lot of times I think in my personal experience interacting with lawyers, lawyers like to talk but they don't always have the best listening skills. And I think social work teaches you how to hear, how to hear other people and hear what they're, what they're getting into, like what their interests are. They may say, oh, um, I don't like it here, but you can ask, you know how to ask the questions to get to why they don't like it or what's making them feel that way. So I would do it. I mean, that's, that's, that's definitely some really, really good advice. Like, in terms of like the technical like preparation for it like specifically since you were in since you um went into like a dual degree program like how is that preparation process for you like in your uh i guess like the senior year of undergrad like did you did you have like what was your timetable in terms of like i need to take the lsat you know i know that the msw program doesn't require like the gre or anything but you know how was that because on top of being a senior you also were like all so right I actually, to the next level i would say senior year is it's not too late but it it's not ideal i started planning for grad school my junior year so um the summer of my after my junior year i had an internship um at the erie county district attorney's office so i did an internship that summer i was able to work with a lot of attorneys and i was able to leverage that internship to get letters of recommendations for law school because you need letters of recommendations all the time you need them you definitely need them for law school um admissions and you'll you're going to need them for scholarships and things like that so i use those use that internship to build connections and then i um applied to law school i took a um my senior year, I took a um, social work course that was cross-registered for undergrad, um, master's level, and um, PhD students. So they opened it up and I took that class. It was Black Masculinities. And I was able to meet a teacher, you know, take the class, see how the workload is, what, you know, what is social work, how do they teach it, how do they cite, you know, their citation system, things like that. Um, so I was able to do that and that made me decide, okay, yeah, this is something that I really want to do and I submitted my application. I think it's best to apply to try to get stuff in, like start thinking about it your junior year because you want to get scholarships. So for me, um, I applied early so I could get scholarships and be, if your grades are good, you're more likely to get a scholarship and before they run out of money, you want to get, you know, get in where you fit in. So that was important. And then also um, the LSAT, some people don't do well the first time. So I took it twice. 
I ended up getting about the same four, but I took it early enough that if I did horrible, I could take it again. So I could have a decent score in before the application deadline. So that's something to think about too. Um, I studied over the summer, which was easier for me, but um, I guess it depends on the person, but I knew I had downtime in the summer. So I studied, I got me a practice, a practice test book and just did the question <laughs> until I got them right. And you're not gonna get all of them right, and that's okay. It's just more about the timing and understanding concepts. And I also, um, UB has a, a program where they will pay for you to get a free um, Kaplan um, exam prep course. So I did that for the second time mm-hmm. I took the test. Um, they pay for it, it's usually like a few thousand dollars. I think it's, the course is usually like $3,000 and they pay for it. I filled out the application, they give you a scholarship form and they pay for it. So I did that, um, which was helpful, but you wanna have that time to be able to take the course or to take it again if you need to, um, so. I mean, that, that I mean, thank you, because that was a very comprehensive answer. And I mean, that's good advice to share because a, a lot of times, like, I, you know, thinking back to my own experience, you know, when I finished undergrad, I was like, oh, wait, there's, this, <laughs> there's something else. Like, you know, like, <laughs> this is not where I'm not done with school forever. So, you know, my journey, I ended up taking a, a gap year and working. And that's how I kind of got interested in the field of social work. Um, but it's so important that, like, if you have a strong interest in something, like, preparation is absolutely key. You know, um, I used to recruit for the UB School of Social Work um, for potential students. And I I can recall talking to those students and so many of them, the concern was like, okay, I'm going to start my application tomorrow. And it's like the deadline was like a month away. And I'm like, so I'm happy you're going to start your application. But like, are you ready to start grad school right now? Because like how much forethought have you actually put into this process if the application is due next month and you're like just going to start it like tomorrow? Um, you know, thinking about timelines with letters of recommendation, like you said, because although like just because you decided that morning that you wanted to apply to grad school, that doesn't mean that the people that you need letters of recommendation from are going to then prioritize their response to you, you know, for that, that application. And that's a very real thing. Like you have to have time management in a process. Um, something else you said, which was also like, yeah, I definitely agree with that. When you talked about taking that class so that you can get a better understanding of like the citation (laughs) oh my gosh like again I so I was a a English Spanish undergrad major um and when I went to grad school when I finally started grad school I was like what we just writing papers this is going to be super easy because I just graduated, you know, I was doing English for four years I'm a phenomenal writer this is going to be a piece of cake um, I remember getting my first paper back and I think I got like a D or a D minus on it. And I was like devastated because I had never, <laughs> I don't think ever in my life got a grade that low. And I was just like, okay, what's going on? You know, like maybe they didn't read my full paper. So I literally went to the instructor. I was like, <laughs> I don't think you read this correctly. <laughs> like we got to revisit this because I like, I'm devastated right now. And I'm so grateful for this instructor, um, actually Dr. Cross, um, who's 
probably still in the UV School of Social Work, um, Denise Cross. Like, she's a phenomenal um, educator and honestly ended up being a very great advocate for me professionally as well. And I just remember she took time to very much say like, okay, so here's the thing. This is not all bad, but like, this is where you went wrong and why. And the biggest issue I had was I was used to, as an English major, (laughs) inserting my opinion in things where people forget that social work is still a science. So it's about fact. It's about the information that is already there. There might be times where people say like, well, what are your thoughts on blah, blah, blah. But for the most part, you treat it as a science. And I wasn't, I wasn't used to writing as, I guess, a scientist in a certain, you know, realm of speaking. But, um, oh my gosh. I'm telling you, it it was an adjustment for me as well. (laughs) Like I had a teacher that was willing to work with me. She said, you know, I don't ever want you to turn in something and you get it turned away because it's not cited right. So you need to learn this because you have good, you do everything right. But it's a citation. You don't want to get um, pinged for, you know, stealing someone's idea or something. You need to make sure that you have it cited so that it's all your T's are crossed, your I's are dotted, and you're good. So that was that was hard. And people said that social work. If you think social work is easy, it's a especially that first year is an adjustment, a life adjustment. <laughs> Absolutely. It definitely is a life adjustment. Like, oh my, I don't even want to talk about my theories class. Like, I used to have nightmares going to theories. Like, oh my God. But I mean, it's it's, it's definitely doable. Um, but like you said, like, social work is not easy, despite what a lot of people may assume about that field. Um, you definitely have to put your thinking cap on um, in the social work profession. So where do you see yourself in like the next so- two to three years? This is this is kind of challenging for me because I have I feel like I have a few options because I have two different degrees. So a part of me is like if I'm a social worker, I would love to work in the Office of Child and Family Services or like um, every county department of social services um, to work with families um, that are facing that that are facing adversity, whether it's poverty, homelessness, um, child abuse, things like that. But then on the, the other side of me um, as a lawyer. I do, I would still do those, work in those um, departments as an attorney, but I really want to work representing criminal defendants. That is something that I think is very important. Mm. I would want to work with um, just representing them because it is hard. Um, They don't have, I think they need to have good lawyers because that also intersects with poverty, child abuse, um, things like that, the same social issues that we see with families you see it with people who are incarcerated so that is something that I would could see myself doing but right now I'm I'm on the fence I'm open to both worlds I guess it depends with this economy you know what my options are (laughs) I mean absolutely but I definitely would say like this is absolutely the time where if you have dual interest, um, a multitude of skills, like you are more than employable because there's so much need in so many different areas. Like I was, I was talking to someone, I think a student, she was actually a student um, in I think a graduate program in California. And she DM'd me on the Instagram page. It was, and she had some questions for, I guess the paper she was doing. And one of the questions was, you know, do I I guess you want to know if I felt like the field of social work would continue to grow and I'm like yeah like I 
like to explain to people that social work is just the business of people. And as long as you have people, you're going to have people who have problems and hence social workers will always have jobs. So with that though, like it's, it's not even just about focusing on the problems. It's also just, again, being able to bring humanity to certain fields or policy practices where typically people might only consider the dollar or the impact or the branding and a social worker can step into that space and say well have you considered this um i've had friends that work in human resources and people think like why would a social worker work in human resources but like hello because we need to make sure that there's diverse hiring practices you need to make sure that there's equity amongst you know how we um, administer those HR policies, um, how if people are being penalized, you have to make sure that it's kind of clear cut across the board. It's not just, you know, um, a subjective situation where it's just like, I'm just going to penalize this person because I want to, um, where there can be like underlying layers of like bias and stuff like that. So um, you definitely I'm like have more than enough options, I'm sure. Um, and I mean, like, again, this is just everything that has gone on in 2020 to me. This is yep. <laughs> unfortunately has become the year of the social worker. Um, and also, honestly, the year of the, the lawyer as well. But, you know, a, a time where, again, like as we see changes in Supreme Court, with this being an election year and things like that, like this is a time for kind of like everybody in the judicial system and the social work sphere to like really stand up and pay attention um, to what's going on in our country. Along the same lines, like, so do you, you, I mean, if you don't, it's perfectly okay. But like, do you feel like it's important for social workers to I occupy macro um, level spaces? I, I traveled to Albany, um, I think two years ago with the, some people from the school of social work and some other like, um, grassroots organizations. And we were arguing, we were, um, not arguing, but <laughs> we were like pushing, we were pushing for, um, bail reform. <laughs> And so when we went to Albany to see um, all of the elected officials, a lot of them, you know, a lot of them come from various backgrounds, but they're a lot of them are lawyers. They come from um, some of them from higher socioeconomic backgrounds. And so when they focus on the discussion of like bail reform, they were talking about how can they save money? <laughs> and, and I think that it was important to see like, no, bail reform is important because People who are having been convicted are innocent, and we <laughs> we need to, you know, mm-hmm. people shouldn't be in jail just because they're poor. Because people that have money could pay the bill and get out. So it's it's about fairness. So that was something that um, I think is important. If it's not just government, I mean, even in like you said, like being in the HR department, it could be at General Motors or anywhere. But it's important for social workers to be there because how policy is implemented can have a big have a big impact on the workers or the people that are affected by the policy so I think social workers need to be there because it's not just about the money it's about the quality of the service provided I definitely agree with that for sure like so along the same lines of like macro level practice policies and things like that obviously this is an election year Um, we can't ignore that at all so why do you think, um, like, what would you say? Like, if you knew somebody personally or even maybe a stranger or a client, you know, and they're like, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to vote. My vote doesn't count. It's not going to affect anything. Why do you think it's important to for people I to vote? And what would you say to a person matters. like that? 
if it didn't matter, people wouldn't try to take it away from us. They wouldn't. <laughs> like, we fought hard to get this, mm. to get the right to vote, so we need to use it because if we don't use it, we're basically just giving it away. I think that it's important to vote for justice. I think that as we've seen with this year, just injustice anywhere can serve as a threat to justice everywhere. So we've been protesting around the world, but we need to put that protest, the same energy into the election, into making sure that we can hold our elected officials accountable. Because it's not just about acknowledging um, that injustice has happened or that people have been wrongly killed or convicted. It's about equity. We need to we need to hold them accountable to get equal school systems or better school systems, better job opportunities, um, just fairness all around. So I think it's more than just you know compassion. It's not about just being nice or you know being heard. It's about making sure that what you're saying, your apology about whatever bad thing that's happened, is really followed by action. Because if not, then it's just manipulation. You're just manipulating us mm. to tell us what we want to hear and then keep on going about your day. So we need to vote for change. Yeah, I mean, I, again, echo everything that you just said with that because, yeah, it's, it's definitely more than about, like, politicians are great at giving lip service, but, like, we need to make sure, that, especially when you head into the polls, like, research candidates like don't just even if you go out to vote it's also a detriment to go and vote and not be educated when you're voting in the sense of like know what the candidates stand for and it's not a ploy to tell you to vote one way or another but it's just like if this candidate aligns with how you feel then go for it if this person aligns go for it but other than that if you don't take the time to research you're walking into a situation blind so you might have voted for someone that is absolutely against something that will benefit your family or you as a per as an individual person so it's definitely important to be aware of the issues and to hold like politicians accountable um because they are supposed to serve people you know they're not serving themselves on that platform they're supposed to serve the community as a whole what is there like a so uh, a certain um i guess like so there's a lot of topics trending right now um on the election like healthcare. Um, environmental reform, obviously race, COVID-19. Is there like a certain topic that you feel like is absolutely going to impact social work practice? Um, I want to say race, but as social workers, we are trained on implicit bias um, and intersectionality, but I think that it will impact the reach of a social worker because more agencies will be hopefully will be um, willing to reevaluate their past practices um so i think that that there's going to be an opening for social workers to have those jobs to be in those spaces because people want to rectify the past they want to do better and so they and a lot of people don't know how to or what what's even wrong with the system so i think that social workers will have a seat at the table in a lot of places that they probably wouldn't have been considered before. Uh, yeah, I definitely, I definitely co-sign that. Like, I mean, and you see it happening now because even as last week when I, when I interviewed um, our feature for last week, we just talked a lot about how like corporations, you know, rushed to make statements and things like that when at the height of the racial unrest in our country like everybody was scrambling or everybody was now all of a sudden having like 
you know, chief diversity officer and things like that. And a lot of those people come from a social work background, you know, who were placed in those roles. A lot of people um, may not be formal social workers, but definitely are aware of like social work practices and stuff like that. So I agree with you, like the seat at the table is definitely can be yours as a social worker. Um, I, I really like to let social workers know that don't let somebody pigeonhole you into the type of work you do as a social worker because really the possibilities are endless like they truly are it's all about how you how you network it's all about how you um how you kind of like market yourself in terms of like what you expose yourself to the experiences that you get but also just understanding that the skills that we learn in school can be applied on a more global scale and again, it's the yep. business of people. They can't um, so, use robots. People are everywhere. <laughs> that actually was a question. <laughs> it's interesting you said that because so this the same student that reached out to me last week, like it's interesting because these are discussions that are clearly happening. But one of her questions was, do you think it's possible for artificial intelligence to replace social workers? And I was like, absolutely not, because I don't think there's an algorithm in the world that could truly predict human emotion and know how to authentically respond to that. And what I think we're seeing right now, even like from school age children to college children or, you know, college students and stuff like that is just like the need for actual human interaction. And the fact that we are in this time and place where everything is virtual because it has to be for safety. But I think where where older people might think like, oh my gosh, Generation Z is lost because they only want virtual interaction. They don't want to connect with people or real life. And we're actually seeing a shift where, no, they, they want connections with people. They've been forced in a position to have to only interact virtually. And people are starting to like, really, I miss my friends. I miss, you know, I, I miss being able to talk to somebody. I miss being able to hug somebody. So I, I don't think there's ever a chance that robots will be able to fill that that space. So let's, okay, let's shift a little bit. So I have this sort of like hashtag, Dear Future Social Worker. So what would you say to your, your current social work peers, maybe social work JD peers, current practitioners, or just people aspiring to the field like what is kind of like some sound advice that you would just dear offer social work students this is your story you shape your future and whatever you want to do you can do well loves i couldn't have said that better myself Thank you so much to Deja for being our special guest this week. And remember, you can do whatever it is that you want to do. You shape your future. So if you have dual interests, don't be afraid to pick up a second major. Don't be afraid to look at dual degree programs. Don't be afraid to get that extra certification because guess what? You will be the answer to somebody's question within the field. And understand that social work is not going anywhere anytime soon, which is a great thing for professionals, but also sort of a sad reality for our larger social and global communities. But at the end of the day, understand that there is a need in a lot of variety of places 
So don't be afraid to be the person that looks beyond the norm and works outside the box to kind of fulfill the answer that's needed amongst society. Um, Also, one of my favorite mantras right now is just that eyes have not seen and ears have not heard all that God has planned for you. No matter if you're a Christian or not, right now that is one of my favorite mantras and Bible verses, but it's just so true. Like don't allow the things that you feel passionate and a gravity towards to kind of be shut down because no one else has done it before. As we talked about last week, don't be afraid to be the blueprint. It's perfectly fine to do you and be the person that stands out amongst the crowd with a diversification of qualifications. That is perfectly fine. So until next week, don't forget to hit us up on Instagram at atypical underscore social underscore worker underscore podcast. Feel free to also visit the website at www.atypicalsocialworker.com. Join us on Thursdays in the Instagram story as we recap 21 questions from this week. And also, I almost forgot, but we have a little bit of a special treat for you guys this week. We are actually dropping a special episode this upcoming Saturday. Um, We know that election time is right around the corner. Remember to vote on Tuesday, November 3rd, or get out there right now for early voting. So it's important that we address the fact that this is election season. So join us as a new episode drops Saturday at midnight to cover election. And we'll just kind of talk. Like we wanted to make this episode. I actually have another special guest for you guys, but we wanted to make this episode one that was informative, but also one that was full of jokes and full of laughter because we know that this can be a very stressful time for a lot of people. A lot of people are are on edge right now. And at the end of the day, we are all people. We are all humans. We need each other. We thrive amongst each other. We succeed together. We fail together. So just take a few minutes out of your busy Saturday and check in on episode six as we cover the election. So again, until next week, stay atypical yet intentional. Peace and love.